that was Laney Lou and the Bird Dogs playing us in. Thanks, Laney Lou and the Bird Dogs. Um, I'm Luke. I'm Mike. And I'm Brent. I'm back. All right, Brent. Welcome back. I missed you guys. I missed how, you guys. How was the wedding? You know, I know your aunt was curious. And so <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was uh, it was a little strange, but uh, it was first. You know, it, it was just one of those kind of weird weddings you go to, but we had a great time. So. You get married on a Monday evening in a brewery in Astoria, Oregon. So it was uh, it was an interesting day, but it was a fun day. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest biggest thing right now is that Brent had the option to just decide he didn't want to be with us anymore, and he came back. So there's that. And after and, this week, too. I mean, we've got some positives here <laughs> in this must... sea of negativity that we're about to jump into. We well, must be doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the Montana Mint Sports Podcast, hosted by Hot Take Nate and Bear Tycoon. They uh, refer to us as the JV Pod, from what I found out. Yeah, I listened to that pod this week. You did a good job on it. I mean, you, you stole a bunch of Brent and I's takes and kept them as your own, but that's fine. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but check them out. They do Big Sky Conference stuff, a little more Bobcat-focused, and that's all I have to say about that. Um, I listened this week. Luke was a guest, and uh, he did a great job. It was painfully obvious that that pod missed Bear Tycoon last week, so Ouch. hopefully he's back. Uh so we spoke a little bit about my aunt. Uh, we had some more fan mail of sorts. It was more of a fan text. So she had this feedback to give us. She says, Amish furniture is made without nails and most likely no electricity, which I thought was pretty funny. If you saw the amount of electric uh, running items on this table right now, <laughs> I don't know if the Amish would approve or not. <laughs> she also noted that she has several pieces and her daughter, Heidi, my cousin, will probably someday use them as yard art. <laughs> <laughs> this is great fan mail. She also said, repeat after me, it's Cheney Washington. Not to be confused with the second worst vice president, Dick Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's probably a topic for another pod, but I would like to know who your aunt's first worst vice president was. <laughs> Uh, she hoped Brent had a lovely time at the wedding, and she tells us we got to see Hamilton. Hey, all right. So that's nice. That sounds like positive fan mail. More of that. If you guys want to hit us up with some uh, fan mail, shoot us your thoughts at GrizzFanPod. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, someone else found us through the internet, though. They found our your guys' work our email work addresses. Emails. Yeah, In yeah. fairness... Britt and I actually pay money for people to find our work email addresses, so that's not the hardest thing in the world. <laughs> so we had another visit from Bonzi Driftwood. Mike, what do you think about Bonzi? You know, I'm over Bonzi. If you can't put your name on something, I really don't care. We're pretty sure he's a cat fan because he referred to MSU as TAU, Troy Anderson University. Which I think you and I are okay with, Bryn. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all Troy Anderson there. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> all right. Well, Bonzi's still talking shit, uh, but he loves you and I, Bryn. I know. We're, I mean, he's not the worst guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump into the Grizz game recap. Do we have to? We actually don't have I mean, to. <laughs> I mean, it's our pod. We can do whatever we, we can want. We just 
drink our beer. Can we talk about the Conor McGregor fight or something else? <laughs> oh. <Yeah. laughs> well, um, there was a brawl after the fight. I watched it. It was crazy. Whew. Okay. That's about all I know yeah. to break down that fight. So All I know is we're going to see a rematch, right? Probably. I imagine. That was the first UFC fight I've ever watched. Like, that's just not my thing. And... It made no sense as like someone who like watched a bit of boxing, and then when that dude like scaled the fence and jump drop kicked a guy in the face and things went crazy. I don't know. It was, it was entertaining. It was ridiculous, but it was entertaining. The reason why I don't love UFC is I feel like all of the hardcore UFC fans are always like an inch away from wanting to get in a fight themselves. <laughs> Like, they're a bunch of bros who, you know... They're living vicariously through these guys. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is finally a dream come true for a lot of these douchebags. So... (laughs) That was Luke that said that. Yeah, that was Luke's hot take. For the douchebags that are looking for a fight. (laughs) Yeah, well, this is the Grizz Fan Podcast, and we break down the game every week, so we better do it this week, too. The Grizz lost to Portland State 22-20. We've been sitting here for 20 minutes, I think, trying to psych ourselves up to at least have energy and excitement to do this pod, uh, because that game was awful. I mean, there's no random. I'm going to run through a couple things that happened real quick while we're, uh, while we're getting ready here. It was an awesome day for a Grizz game. Oh. Let's just start out on a positive note here, Mike. It was great. It was Grizz homecoming, packed stadium, beautiful day. Yep. It was, I mean, the crowd was into it. Sometimes homecoming games, the crowd is, like, weird, you know? Mm-hmm. It seemed like, especially when it was needed in the second half, like, the fans were there. It felt, it felt like a day where everything was going to go right before the game. Once the game started, one play in. One play in, fumble. Yeah. And then, I mean, that, it, just, it just went downhill. So a couple things. First time Portland State has won in Missoula since they joined the Big Sky Conference. We're talking 1980s. First Division I win for Portland State in two years. First, if I, if I saw this right, Bobby Houck has a 32-game regular season Washington Grizzly Stadium win streak snapped. That doesn't include the postseason. In conference. In conference. Yeah. And a 21-game overall win streak at Washington Grizzly snapped. And only the fourth time in the history of Washington Grizzly Stadium, Montana was on the losing end of a homecoming game. You know what's interesting is there have been some bad homecoming games. Um, we were talking before of like losses that this can compare to. And I'm kind of on the bench of this loss really doesn't have comparisons in the sense of how bad the team we lost to was. But there are losses where it it hurt as much. We're talking like Cal Poly right after we beat North Dakota State a few years ago. Um, uh, Weber State that same year, McKenna Simmons fumbled an OT and they kicked the field goal and won. But this is right up there. It hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's up there. I mean, it's kind of funny because walking out of the stadium, it definitely felt like, like the worst loss you've ever, like, seen there. As you start, you know, thinking back, like, like I said before we got started, like I think we all as Grizz fans blocked out all of 2012 <laughs> with three conference home losses, including one to the Cats. And I mean, Bobby's first year, 2003, where a Division II North Dakota State fakes a field goal and beats us. I mean, there, there's, there was ugly ones, but this one, top three or top five for sure. I mean, it was just bad. 
so we fumble, and they have wonderful field position. Yeah. They take over on the... 26-yard line. So, go in and score right away. Yep. Down 7-0. Yeah. We get the ball back and do what? Well, we three attempted to punt. We went three and out, and we punted, and got, it got blocked. And so, I was unable to confirm, and I could be wrong, but when I was watching it on that punt, too, and this, this is going <laughs> to make your face even redder, Mike, I believe Portland blocked it shorthanded because they had a guy run off the field. And so I started counting, and I only believe I counted nine on the line of scrimmage and the punt returner. Mm -hmm. Brent does these things in real time, for those of you who are wondering, because he did text me that during the game. Like They blocked that punt with ten guys. Yeah, so not only did they block it, they didn't even have enough guys on the field. What's more impressive, blocking a punt with ten guys or Jerry Louie McGee returning a punt against Northern Iowa a couple years ago with ten guys on their side? I, I don't know. Probably the return? Probably. Probably the return? It's but a longer effort, right? kick, though, because you should have the matchups to everybody could put a hat on someone. Man, this is depressing. This is going to be a depressing pod. You didn't, you didn't bring enough beer. <laughs> <laughs> I should have brought a stronger beer. So the positive here is they block the punt, and the defense only holds Portland State to a field goal. So 10 nothing. That's all scoring for the first quarter. Grizz did absolutely nothing. They didn't even have a first down in the first quarter, I believe. Nope. Um, just, just atrocious. My aunt, the same aunt that sent us the fan mail, she's texting me and is really shocked. She's like, when I listen to your guys' pod, you're pretty up on the Grizz, and what I'm watching right now in real time is sad. <laughs> and she was right. I mean, this is where I go back to, like, is this one of the worst losses in West Street Stadium? Because from the standpoint of, like, how bad Portland State is, oh, man, the Grizz should have won that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Let's, is this a problem of lack of energy by the players? Is this a scheme problem by the coaches? Is it both? Well, I think, I think it was a little bit of everything. I will say that I was actually bracing for this game this week against North Dakota. Like, mm. I figured sooner or later they were going to come out flat, believing their own hype a little bit. And sooner or later, somebody was going to stack the box on Snead. Now, you, you noticed a little bit of what they were doing on defense to, to block Snead in. Yeah, so it, as you watch the game, so Portland State runs this weird flex defense. And basically, they had a single high safety, corners on the edge, and then everybody else was in the box. And so they had four down linemen, and they had, the middle linebacker was a yard off the line of scrimmage. And then there was another linebacker, mostly number 46, and he was about seven yards off line of scrimmage, usually standing right behind the middle linebacker. He would trail Snead. That's all he did. And in the first half, you could just tell because what we saw, especially like in the Sacramento State game, was if Snead didn't have options, he had an open field. And this, he'd go to the side, he'd go outside, he'd go up the middle, and he'd be met by 46. And you would see quite often in that he'd throw the ball away, and that was suddenly when the high throws and the errant throws, and, and then he just got punished, too. I mean, that was probably the most amount of hits he's taken since the Northern Iowa game, I would say. I think so. So do you think, I mean, let's talk about Snead a little bit. Do you think that Snead had a bad day because of the defense, 
Or did the defense look like it worked because Snead had such a bad day? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I mean, uh, it, I, it, it's got to be a bit of both. I, I just, Snead is not as bad as we saw. In no, that game. I mean, there's no way. And when you look at Portland State's defensive uh, showings up until this Grizz game, they weren't that good. So it's it's got to be a bit of a blend, but this was definitely, I mean, this was a bad game for Dalton Steed, and yeah, it just killed Port- it. Portland Steed is so bad that this has to be more than just Snead having a bad game. I think this is the their coaches identifying as weaknesses and deploying a game, a game scheme that we haven't seen yet. Yep. I mean, I agree with that. So when Snead was brought in and, you know, when Jensen was still here, I did a lot of kind of comparisons of the two, and that was one of our first podcasts. But one of the things that, that if you look back at Snead's game records at UNLV and even at the junior college – you're going to get a game where he completes less than 50% of the passes. So that part in and of itself, it's like, yeah, you know, that's going to happen once in a while. So maybe this is it. You know, the team plays the defense right and kind of flusters him a little bit. But, boy, he was off. Like, with a few exceptions, he was just off, and we'll talk more about that. And the trick was, and especially in the first half, too, granted maybe one of his most damaging uh, misses came late in the game, but um, – in the first quarter, there was a couple that hit receivers in yep. the hands. And not just like a 10-yard pass, but I think we had Toure, and I can't remember. There was a second as well. Was, was it, it a Cam? L- a Cam or McGee? I can't remember. Yeah. But it was deep shots, beat cover. T- not not the easiest catch, but Torrey should have had that in one. The in fingers, the fingers, yeah. Torrey should have yeah. had that So there, there was some throws where it was like, those were on the money, and it was a rough day out the gate for Snead, but he wasn't getting help with some early drops, too, that were drive killers and took points off the board, most likely. Yeah, and I think, you know, I actually tweeted a little bit during the game that we needed a receiver to step up and make a play. You know, if your QB's struggling, you need to make a good catch to help it. And Keenan Curran finally did, which was great. So, I mean, it's not all the pile on Snead because there were four fumbles and a blocked punt that all led to points. Yep. So it's like that's not all on Snead um, at all. Yeah. But it's interesting because I feel like if you look at how teams have beat Portland State, they ran all over them. And it felt like we didn't do that to the same level. One of the things I'd read against the flex defense is that one of the ways to beat him is to spread him out and to run speed out of the backfield. And we've got that. We've got Louis McGee and Sulcer who could do, you know, fly sweeps. They could do jet sweeps. They, could, you know, they could take the handoff and at least spread the defense out to open up for Eastwood. And it felt like we put them back there as decoys a lot, but didn't really do that. And was it because we didn't get into a rhythm? Or well, I think this is poor preparation by the coaches. Uh, Bobby's taken a lot of heat for this appropriately. And he said it too after the game. They should have known this flex defense was coming and they should have known five ways to counter it. And we didn't see any of that. We didn't see any fly sweeps. Nothing. Well, hang on. We saw it on the first play. (laughs) (laughs) And he fumbled it. Sneed gets the ball and I think he's supposed to just pitch it forward to Sulcer and He's not, you know, this way that, and the ball just hits the ground, and Portland picks it up. And so, what I, it felt like to me when you were watching the first half, especially, was 
that play falls apart and it's like wadded up and throw it out. We're not going to do that anymore. Because like there was no more, there was motion, but there was never the actual play. And then there was a lot of what appeared to be long, drawn out, developed plays. And so maybe the last two weeks of a lack of pass rush from the other two, from uh, Sack and Polly, led us to think maybe the O-line is pass blocking better than it really was. Because Sneed's second fumble... I mean, I mean, it's on him, but he steps up in the pocket and drilled he gets behind. drilled in the back, and the ball just comes up. Yep. And so there was—he took three sacks. I think all three were in the first half, and it was all plays where he's—it it seems like a play that's taking four or five seconds to develop. Which so far this offense, it's usually you know one two seconds and get the ball out. The the interesting thing it's like, I think coaches all have different systems stuff like that, but. One thing that I think is clear, especially because we our receivers maybe have, we've had I think we've two times run a, a sweep to a receiver where we fumbled on the exchange. I think that twice this season we've done that, and obviously you know Coach Stitt was here last year, and there's lots of things about Coach Stitt that didn't work. But there's one thing that he's getting a lot of credit for, even in the NFL right now, and that's the the reason the fly sweep is such a good play, and it's different than the jet sweep is that the jet sweep, which is what we ran when we fumbled, is an underhand toss. So if the receiver doesn't catch it, it's a fumble and a live ball. The fly sweep is an overhand toss to the receiver. So if the receiver drops it, it's an incomplete pass and the play's dead. So if they had run a fly sweep instead of a jet sweep there, that's just an incomplete pass instead of a game-altering fumble right at the beginning. Right. So it's like, I get the... That there's a difference there, but it's like I don't for the life of me understand why anybody would run a jet sweep when the fly sweep would do the same thing. Especially you got guys on offense that were recruited. Yeah. These receivers know how to do it. Like (laughs) they know how to do it. So anyway, that's just an observation. But I mean nothing's that simple because there's no one reason the team lost the game. No, definitely not. I mean it was it was a you had a compounding amount of errors. You you go two for twelve on third down, no third down conversions in the first half. You let Portland have the ball for 39 minutes a clock. You, you know, um, it's just, and, and Portland State scored 19 of their 22 points off of turnovers. And the other three, they got off a blocked punt. So it's like all of Portland's points came on errors. Errors, turnovers or mistakes. So this is why I wasn't depressed all weekend long. Mm-hmm. Was I thought the defense played so damn well? They did absolutely. Yeah, that's a they showed up. Yep. For every bit of energy the offensive offense lacked, I thought the defense had their back. We have to be pleased with what we saw there. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. If you talk about things to build on, and and Brent, who's more eternally positive than I am, has pointed this out. But <laughs> you know, and I think Luke, you said it too. When we were talking, but it's like. This team is two fumbles away from being six and zero. You know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, but it's like, man, you gotta, you gotta make the, the the thing that frustrates me about the PSU loss is that hurts us on a playoff bubble. Yep. Like that's a bad loss. So PSU kicks a field goal. It's thirteen nothing at half. Halftime, the Grizzlies won, ran twenty eight plays for fifty five yards. It's less than two yards a play. Uh, Portland State had run 45 plays for 181 yards. The Grizz went three and out five times. Brent just said they were 0-7 on third downs in the first half. Sneed was, what was he, 1 of 12 at halftime? For negative two yards. For negative two yards. I don't know if 12 is exactly right, but I mean it's... It it was was 12, yeah. Yeah, I mean it was 
bad. And again, that's not all on Snead, but some of that is. But that's on the receivers, too. It's like, if your guy's struggling, step up. I thought he didn't have a lot of time. I thought no. the offensive no. line didn't show up. Yeah, they, I mean, they had a problem. They, they, they were having a problem with, I mean, just blocking what was coming at them. And especially, I think, with the, the, the QB spy, who, especially if the running back stayed in pass protection would blitz in, a lot of times there was just no accounting for that guy. The O-line was very flustered, especially in the first half. I felt like they settled in the second, but the first was rough. Probably the most interesting thing to happen in the first half is they put in Humphreys for a drive. Mm -hmm. And it's like I saw him warming up on the sidelines. You know, sometimes you see QBs throwing, you know, like Majoma, but he was really warming up. And he led him on a little bit of a drive. He only completed one of three passes, but one was for 21 yards. It was interesting to see that, and I have to wonder if we see Snead struggle again this week, if we don't see more of Humphrey. I don't know. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We didn't see him again the rest of the game. And I think Huck said afterwards that we just wanted to give Dalton a, a series to clear his head. Well, it made sense. I mean, it was it was in the midst of a stretch of no completions, three and outs, getting hit every time he threw. And I think that, that last, like, he got rocked and thrown on the ground hard. Not that he was hurt or anything, but just he was having a hard damn time. And it was... Like a kind of a clear your mind, reset. Yep, longest drive of the first half. So let's turn to the second half, which is a completely different half for the Grizz. Oh, they! I mean, they looked much better. You know, they scored fourteen points in the third, six points in the fourth. And I mean, they start the third great. Dante Olson, yeah, forces a fumble, and almost the exact same way that we fumbled the first <laughs> half, they fumbled the second half. And then a couple plays later, Eastwood's in the end zone. And suddenly, like for me, I've, I think all of us who have been to a lot of games, you felt like, okay. All right, we're putting like, it together. We woke up. We're going to hang 35 on these guys this half and just kick the shit out of them. Yeah, that's how I felt, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, positive, Eastwood had another good day. Like 88 yards on the ground on 14 carries, was it? I don't know. Um, so he looked good. Yeah. No. I, I, <laughs> I'm looking for positives well, here. So so Eastwood, it, it was interesting. Uh, I watched this game with a uh, with a former Grizz running back, and it was interesting talking with him about what he was seeing out of Eastwood versus because I watched the Northern Iowa game with him too, mm-hmm. and I remember going to the Northern Iowa game really hyping up Eastwood from what we'd seen in scrimmages, like you know, a little bit of spring, a little bit of fall, and. He didn't have a great... I mean, his first couple games were just running into the pile. You know, it wasn't a lot of yards. He had, what, one long touchdown run in the Drake game or something. But uh, we got to talking about how Eastwood has shown a lot of improvement. I mean, Cal Poly was a huge game for him against a really bad run defense. But then, again, Portland State making cuts, making guys miss... Getting into open field, yeah, not just not just down. not just colliding, but continually going. And he had a few plays where it was like a lot of yards after contact. Which the first couple games of the season, it was like as soon as he was hit, he was down. Mm-hmm. So he had a five yard, no, no, he had like a six and a half yard per carry average, yeah. team average five. So yeah. Eastwood really got it going, especially in the second half. You know, I think that he's he's starting to hit the hole better. I think that as you watch his film, he's still going to see that there's some. 
reads that he could probably, but I mean, you could see it that he's putting it together. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. Yep. Right. So we've got a lot of time with this guy, and it would seem like he's only going to get better. Yep. So he had the first touchdown in the second half. The second touchdown in the second half was that was the drive where I was like, yeah. We're he- we figured it out. We were going to kick their ass. They they punted. They down us at, at the five-yard line. Take six plays, 95 yards, a minute 42. And Sneed finally connects with Torre on a deep pass. And it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Torre beat his guy, and he Sneed just put it right where it needed to be. Yep. Yep. And, I mean, after you saw all the misses and a couple of drops, I mean, it was just... Like, that perfect connection was like, okay, they got it. Yeah, I thought for sure, like, Portland State realizes they're Portland State again. (laughs) The Grizzlies realize they're the Grizzlies, and this is over. You would think. (laughs) (laughs) Then the fumbles come back. Fumbles come back. Um, uh, PSU scores again early in the fourth quarter to go up 19-14. Grizz come back with a Four-minute drive, another Eastwood touchdown. This, you know, there's a lot to go around, but there's some coaching questions. There's some coaching things to question. And one of them was right here. I mean, it was obvious to everybody. So it's the fourth quarter. We'd scored to go up 20 to 19. You go for two to to be up the field. It's a no-brainer. 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 I mean, everybody in the freaking stadium knows you're going to go for two. So we line up to kick it. And then do some fake kick jet sweep with Tim Semenza. Tim freaking Semenza. I mean, why? <laughs> Brent, you could probably name like 10 plays they should have called. They could have just called the touchdown pitch. Yeah. That they did. I think I, I saw a tweet about uh, conversion rates and just like mathematically, I think the percentage is 45%. If you connect on 45% of your two point, two point conversions, then you might as well just go for two Every 100% of the time. So you look, scroll through your playbook, and you're like, all right, they know a conversion's coming. So what's our play that we we're 45% confident in? It's not the Tim Semenza sweep. No, it's either it's the fake pitch, right? Right. I mean, it's like with, where, where Sneed keeps it yeah. and fake pitches that, or he actually pitches it out. I mean... I just that one really frustrated me. Bobby said in the post game that they thought they saw something they could take advantage of on film, but that's not when they know the two point conversions coming. No. Well, and you looked at the way Portland lined up because we showed that swinging gate formation, and they didn't. They weren't fooled. Like our linemen that were all to the the uh, uh, Portland side of the field, sideline of the field. Portland didn't protect that side. They just line guys up all across the line of scrimmage. And so when Semenza started running, I was just like, please don't snap. Please don't. And they snapped the ball, and you, you just saw what was coming. It was it was not bad. Uh, not good. It was, yeah. Very bad. Yeah, so anyway, bad. Grizz go, kick it off. Um, they get the ball back from Portland State again. Portland State... I, fumbles, right? Fumbles, I think. Dante I mean, Olsen. That would make sense. Dante Olsen. Yeah, Dante yeah. Olsen there. Um, side note, Portland State had gone for two the previous play, and Dante Olson intercepted it in the end zone. Right. Um, 
that doesn't show up on his stats, but it's like Dante Olsen is everywhere. I actually legitimately thought as Portland State was lining up for the winning kick that Dante Olsen was going to block. Because that's just, right? I and mean, then he like, was going to rip off his jersey yeah, like a Superman <laughs> underneath. Fly so out of the stadium. Give us a Dante Olsen update. What's his tackle total? So his tackle total is, let me see, I believe it's 98. 98. 98 tackles, which puts him on pace for 179. Um, UM's record is 130. And the Big Sky record is 170. And the FCS record is 175, I believe. I think I read that. 195, I think. 195? Oh, okay. A guy named Kevin Talley. Ah, Kevin Talley. But interestingly, the 170 and the 195 were in 12 games, the 12-game season, so only 11 games. I mean, that UM record is as good as toast. Oh, he's going to break it in two weeks. Um, And if he keeps playing the way he's playing, that Big Sky record is within reach. I mean, to ask for another 100 tackles on the season, that might, I mean... That's tough. That's tough. I mean, it's hard to expect that he's going to keep tackling 15 a game, right? Don't you ever doubt Dante. Dante! (laughs) (laughs) I was reading on a message board that he's slightly overrated, though, so I don't know. What are, um, you, what are you spending time on in SU's <laughs> Bobcat Nation? <laughs> Not Bobcat Nation. Grizz fan posting. A Grizz fan posting. That. That's a Bobcat so, fan. Yeah, what is what is your agenda if you're posting on a message board on a Monday morning about how the guy that's got 100 tackles six games into the season <laughs> is overrated? You know? Like, what is your agenda? Are you like Josh Buss's mom and doesn't like the show? <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I love Josh Buss, and I still think he's probably the best linebacker on the team, but... I mean, like, seriously, what's your motivation? Like, how could you argue that? I wish I was that overrated <laughs> at anything. <laughs> at anything. Anything. I mean, the crazy thing, like, you look at the, the total team stats, and this is going a little sideways from our game talk, but, like, Robbie Houck has almost 60 tackles, mm-hmm. and Josh Buss is sitting at 43. So it's like... Both these guys are putting in great seasons. Like, Robbie's on pace to finish with over 100, and Josh is going to be in that 90 range. And, you know, he only played part-time, what, the first two, two and a half games of the year. Mm-hmm. And Dante is on pace. Like, he's going to double him up. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's like the guy you kind of feel bad for is Josh Buss because it's like he's having a great year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's like he was on all these watch lists, but it's like – all those votes are going to go to Dante Olsen. <laughs> um, so, all right. So, so Dante forces a fumble. Grizz get the ball at midfield. It there's like six or seven minutes left in clock. We are running the ball good. It's it feels like it's dagger time. Like it's time to end this game. Yep. And this is now the second most infuriating thing the coaches did on Saturday in my mind. Same here. It was like sitting there, and it, we went into Bobby Ball a little bit. It's like we're gonna turn the clock, and either kick a field goal with very little time left, or just run out the clock. Mm-hmm. And what's frustrating is that tempo was working in the second half, like the big drive, the ninety-five yard touchdown drive. It's like that we put that together. We scored went ninety-five yards in less than two minutes because we ran tempo. And it's like you want to talk about a, a, a defense stack in the box against Snead. Like we're gonna have to run more tempo to not give the defense a chance to do that. And I hope the coaches make that adjustment because it was so clear that that is what was working that I actually sat there and turned to the person I was sitting next to in the stadium and was like, this is going to backfire on us because we're running out the play clock. And it's like we're sitting there and, you know, we got a couple third down ranges and Keenan... 
our love-hate relationship with Keenan, who's such a good guy. Yeah. You know, he's trying to get the extra yard, and he fumbled. Yeah. There was a play on that drive, and it was a, it was a couple of first downs ago, but Sneed missed a wide-open Jerry Lou McGee. Jerry had two yards from the guy around him, and if Sneed had hit him in stride going towards the sidelines, that's, that's, that's at, least, at least a first and goal, if not a touchdown. Jerry's going to dart around. And they got a couple more first downs, but if Snead hits him, like, game over. Yeah. That's something I noticed that we've missed all year is, like, the possession catches. Like, it was very apparent that uh, their quarterback, or Davis Alexander, had five or six awesome pitching catches where Mm -hmm. they were just possession catches thrown only at a place the receiver could catch them. Yep. Down immediately, first down. Yep. It was beautiful. The ball is thrown before the break. Yep. Nothing our defenders could do to stop it. We haven't seen one of those all year, I don't think. Well, maybe maybe the Samuel Akem catch to end the first Maybe, game. but it was interesting. It was just like, you know, run past the sticks, I'm going to hit you, go down, first down. And it, you're right, like that stood out to me because it was like so... For a team as bad as Portland State was, it was very impressive how they did that. Anyway, Steve <laughs> missed him, he threw behind him. Um, and above him. And like, above him. Like, over him, behind him. I mean, it wasn't even, like, just and a little granted, bit. Like, Sneed was on the move and saw him at the last second. But it's still, it's like, you, you, you got to make those plays in games like this. Yep. you yep. got to make them. And, and they didn't. We got a couple more first downs, and then Keenan fumbled it. And Portland State used the rest of the clock, drove down, and kicked a 53-yard field goal with their freshman kicker. I, I was thinking the whole time, um, the... To end of the first half, I thought the PSU coach mismanaged the clock a mm-hmm. little bit. And during this long drive, I was like, what the hell is this coach doing? <laughs> he is going to game manage like a 60-yard field goal. Like, this isn't going to work. He's going to run out of time here. Um, and then when he gets up to the 52, 53-yard distance, and it's clear they're rolling out the kicker, I thought there was no way... In hell, this kid's going to make it. He's a freshman. This is clearly the biggest crowd he's ever played in front of. Wagres showed up. They were noisy for that whole last six minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just the north end zone. It was everybody. It was everybody. It was so cool, and I thought, this is like the biggest pressure situation this dude's ever faced. I don't care if it's a 42-yarder. He ain't making it. Mm-hmm. But holy crap, it felt like that um, scene from Major League where the... Where he's like, you have no marbles, you know, <laughs> like Serato and is it Tanaka? Yeah. You know, yeah. like I just, I thought he was going to run back to his uh, bench and just do the, the giant ball signal between his legs because what a clutch kick. I couldn't believe he made that. Yeah. I, I, the funny thing, uh, um, the play right before it, we inexplicably call a timeout, which it's funny, like it worked out. But that was dumb luck. Like, I don't, I don't understand the timeout unless if there was something that was going on on the field, like Portland was going to snap and we weren't ready and someone was uncovered. I, I didn't see it, so it was tough to tell. But it's like we called the timeout. Like, we gave him another play. As it turned out, we put him back two yards with a Jace Lewis tackle. But, you know, dude still made the kick, so it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the game's over. Everyone hates everything. Did you finish that Evan Williams after that? Oh, so, God, no. That stuff is... No. 
We're saving it. <laughs> we're saving it for the Davis game because I think we're going to need it. Okay. So, I, you know, game's over, but can somebody explain to me why Bobby Howe called a timeout with, with so that Portland State could seconds. run one more play with 11 seconds? Like I just said, the only thing I could figure is if they were, like, going up to quick snap, like we said, <laughs> Mike... And someone was uncovered. We'll That's my only we'll cut this out. We'll cut that question out. <laughs> so the problem here is the Yankees uh, are losing 16-1 to 1 right now. And what? <laughs> Austin Ramon, their backup catcher, just gave up a two-run homer because he's the first uh, position player to pitch in relief in the postseason in a while. And he gave up a home run. And he gave up a home run. <laughs> I got sidetracked. Oh, wow. <laughs> so sorry, everybody. <laughs> And this is in New York. Yeah, things aren't going well. <laughs> well, I'm a Packers fan, so my Packers game is pretty ugly, too. The Niners and the Packers play next Monday night, I think. They do. Yeah. They, they do. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Packers are going to get back on track. It's, right? gonna, it's probably going to end in a tie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that Aaron Rodgers is a little bit better quarterback than C.J. Brethard. Okay, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yes, yes. I'll give him that. Yeah, I'll give him that. <laughs> All right, so everyone, the interesting thing, you look at this, so the game's over, Grizz are 4-2. People are saying, like, the sky's falling. This is not a playoff team. Why are we even ranked? I mean, their backs are to the wall a little bit, but this is funny. Like, we went through this before we did this pod, and we pulled up 2015, and, I mean, we were 4-4 four and four at one point in 2015. We got the playoffs because we strung together some wins. This this team has a lot in front of it. And like Luke, like you said, I mean, we're just a couple of bad plays or maybe some bad decisions away from being undefeated. Now, if we were undefeated, we'd probably be the most overrated undefeated team in the conference. But, but we'd still be undefeated. But we'd still be undefeated. <laughs> so I, I struggle with um, this comment that Bobby made. He said that we took the lead twice. And he goes on to say some more shit after that. But I don't know if... Like that, I should be optimistic about that, or is it the fact that we should have never been in that position to begin with? That's the bigger story. Yeah, I mean, I think the bigger story is that we should have never been in that position to begin with. And it's like, as Bryn said, I mean, it's like you look at the second half stats alone, and it's like that's a pretty good second half. Yeah, two hundred fifty yards almost. So yeah. it's like they figured some things out, but man, we should have never been in that position. Oh. What makes me optimistic is. That this is still a young team, and you know to be a strong playoff team and something we hope to be, you have to show some resiliency as a club. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few teams go undefeated throughout. I guess unless you're North Dakota State, but right, like everyone faces some sort of a loss, uh, a bad loss maybe. But in all of the games that we face this weekend against North Dakota, uh, the UC Davis game which is going to be a tough game for us. Mm-hmm. The, the margin by which we are an underdog in those games is going to be shorter than the margin that PSU was an underdog in this game. Yeah. Why can't we upset someone? No, that's valid. I mean, that, you're right, and there are so many reasons to, to take that away, like it's only one game and compartmentalize it. Um, it just... It's interesting to me because I feel like it, it really puts their back to the wall. I think we can only lose one more game all season and make the playoffs still. Well, probably two. Two. So if we lost two, we'd be 
seven and four. Well, seven and four were a bubble team, and what we've seen the last two years is seven and four Grizzlies didn't make the playoffs. Seven and four Grizzlies also ended their season with a loss, with losses, and so and the year before the seven and four Grizzlies won their last three and got in. So, so I I would say it all depends on when the loss comes. Yep. So, but it's it's if you know seven and four Grizzlies. With a loss to Portland State hurts. We better hope that Northern Iowa goes and Western Illinois and Western Illinois. Although Western Illinois, the flip side is you could say if we're on a bubble with Western Illinois, Western Illinois has the bubble spot oh, over us. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that I am super optimistic about when it comes to us being on the bubble is that Kent Haslam's on the committee this year. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be something with that. You know, they talk every week, that committee I've heard, and they're probably all texting him like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, what? Portland State? Portland State. Are so, you kidding me? W- another thing, you know, and, and Britt and I have been debating this a little bit, and he, he distanced himself from the pod hot take of whether we should be ranked or not. I think if I'm a Cat fan right now, I have a legitimate reason to be pissed off that the Grizz are ranked and the Cats aren't. I mean, think about it. Our two losses are to teams they've beat. Yep. And their losses are to teams in the top five. Yep. Well, it shows you how much the historical shittiness of the Cats still haunts them. Yep. No one believes in the Cats. Yep. And I don't think they should Let either. me ask you a question. Do you think Idaho State's a better team than us right now? Yes. They're not ranked ahead of us. No, they're not. I don't think they're a better team than us. <laughs> I don't. We're so close to being 6 and up. You know what's interesting is Idaho State, we're going to talk about this in the Big Sky in a second, but they just creamed Idaho, which oh, is awesome. Yeah. But their their quarterback threw for eight touchdowns. And um, their former Grizz coach, um, Rob Fennessy, is the head coach, and Mike Ferreter is their offensive coordinator. And the thing that it instantly reminded me of was when Chalich you know, got eight touchdowns. It's like... Is this real or is this like those stit fueled where we went a couple games where we had 50 plus points and everyone's like, this is the next great thing ever. The Grizz are going to score 50 points every game forever. And that didn't happen. And then they scored 20 the next two games. Yeah. It's tough to say. It's tough to say. You know, the one thing too, like just the last that like sometimes we've seen the Grizz escape games they should win. And I think back like the, the prime example is 2008 when we – kick a game-winning field goal against a Division II school, Central Washington. And it's like, oh, we should have won it. We should have played better. But, hey, we got the W, so let's get out of here. And then the next week they go on the road and they get smoked by Weaver. And that was like their wake-up call. So we'll have to see. It's tough because this road game with North Dakota is going to be damn tough. And But, I mean, maybe this loss – We'll steal these guys. Now, we said this three weeks ago with Western Illinois. And it did for two weeks. And it did for two weeks. But it's, it's you know, we're going to need we're gonna need to string a little bit more than two more wins out of a, out of a painful loss. <laughs> we'll talk about North Dakota here towards the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, Mike, let's transition into the Big Sky Conference recap and the predictions for next week. So the only... Positive thing about the Big Sky last week is that there were lots of upsets. It was a weird week. So Davis beat Northern Colorado. We both picked that. However, if you can ask Montana Parlay, Northern Colorado scores 26 points in the fourth quarter over a span of four minutes of clock time to 
cover the spread by half a point. So you are saying that Dan Hawkins put money on Northern Colorado to cover the spread. This was, it was funny because Parley tweeted at me and he said something about uh, those that put money on Northern Colorado did good. And I was guessing that was like two people or something. (laughs) But it was this crazy string. Like they get a touchdown, then they get a safety, then they get another touchdown, they get an onside kick, and they score another touchdown with all two-point conversions. Because it was crazy. You see, it's 49-10. And then what was the final score? It was... 49-36. (laughs) 49-36. Well, there you go. So, Eastern Washington beat Southern Utah. Um, uh, They both had their backup quarterbacks in, apparently. In Cheney, Washington. Cheney, Washington. (laughs) Um, Eastern's backup quarterback is a guy... Name's escaping me right now. But he, in Stitt's first year here was somebody Stitt was really hard after. Um, we recruited him really hard. He chose Eastern. So I, for a moment, had this hope that Gabrud was going to graduate and that maybe Eastern's quarterback train would end. But then somebody pointed out to me that they had this guy, and he played pretty well. Yeah. I mean, damn it. Like, <laughs> why, why would it end now for Eastern? They've just had so many good quarterbacks in a row. It's crazy. So you're Gresh Jensen to Eastern Washington next year, you think it's going to happen? No. I think if Gresh Jensen goes anywhere in the Big Sky Conference, there's two places. One, inevitably Bob Stitt is going to be the head coach in Northern Colorado, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just going to happen in my mind. Maybe not. Why do you think he will go to Northern Colorado? Well, he's from Colorado. People loved him at the School of Mines. He would absolutely be a huge hire for them. Because, like, say what you want about Stitt, but I think he could be a winning coach in the Big Sky. I don't know that he's going to win the Big Sky. But I think his system could get a team like Northern Colorado into a regular winning program, which would be a big step forward for them. Okay. Now, maybe Stitt will want to be the offensive coordinator in a major program. But those are going to be his only two options. So, Gresh Jensen, number one, goes to Northern Colorado. Gresh Jensen, in my worst nightmares, goes to the Cats. I think that's more likely <laughs> because Gregorak is a goddamn villain. <laughs> <laughs> Gregorak's going to be like, I heard that fucking Grizzpan podcast last week. <laughs> yeah. Some well, guy was, named Luke. <laughs> well, I was combing my hair in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was going to say, should we just give Eastern the Big Sky title? But I looked at their schedule. They've got a few tough games, don't they? So they play Weber, and Weber just lost. They play Idaho. They play Northern Colorado. It looks like they go to Davis. That should be a wild game. And then they play, you know, Portland State, who, in my opinion, is now the best team in the Big Sky. So. I was going to say, we talk about things that would be nice for the Grizz. <laughs> if Portland State ra- railed off a couple wins here, that would actually be good. Yes. Um, they don't play Idaho State, though. Nope. Who's also 3-0. Nope. Yep. And that game against the Cats was a non-conference game. So, since we were talking about Gresh Jensen and Brent brought it up. uh, (laughs) Oh, let's open this (laughs) scab. Quarterback Gresh Jensen led the way with 428 yards passing and five touchdowns. Oh. I think the only positive about that is I think Gresh Jensen is going to the FBS next year. I hope so. I hope so. Oh, that would hurt too. <sighs> so I think we can safely write off Southern Utah now. What do you think? Yeah. I'm sure they'll put up a game with us, but everybody else, yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody plays us close anymore. Like, we, yeah. Anyway, 
Um, Portland State and Montana, we both got this one wrong. Weber State, Northern Arizona. NAU gets a win at home with a backup QB. That's incredible. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things that we've kind of hinted at, and we really haven't gotten into Weber State a lot on the pod, but we've said it a couple times, they've got a good defense, but their offense is nothing real impressive. And NAU got them in a shootout, and they could not keep up. Hmm. Um, which is interesting because now Weber and NAU play each other next week, I think, right? We'll touch no, on that. Weber second. plays Eastern. Weber plays Eastern. Yeah, yeah, Weber and Eastern, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Idaho, Idaho State. Luke picked Idaho. I picked Idaho State. Idaho State throttled Idaho. Oh. So. Is it time? Is it time to is, sell that Bitcoin, is, Luke? Is Bitcoin going? Do you remember that asshole who had the show about buying and selling stocks? Kramer, right? Mad Money or something Mad like that? Mad Money? Yeah. yeah. I wish I had a big-ass red button right now. <laughs> sell, 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 sell. All right, I'm cashing out, man. I, I might have lost my ass on this, but... Um, See, at this point, I feel like there's more value in writing it for the season because they are <laughs> rock bottom. So I had a... On this note, not that I want to spend too much time talking about the Idaho game, but uh, I had a buddy, Jake Friedland, talk about how lame the Battle of the Domes name was. Uh-huh. <laughs> and he came up with some alternatives. Uh, he said... Gem State game, because apparently they're the Gem State. Okay. Uh, sure. The mashed potato bowl, the prize of the panhandle, and then the time zone tussle, which I really like, because he says, did you know these schools are in different time zones? That's right. I did not know that. <laughs> it's like a yeah, continental that's... divide thing. There you go. For, and I think, here's what I think, is whatever school wins the time zone tussle, their university has to operate on the other school's time zone for the year. Like, their class schedules are set back or forward. Like, you're either staying late or getting up early. There's going to be some English professor at the University of Idaho who's just like, fucking football! (laughs) Okay, so how many more games do you think Idaho is going to win? Going through the schedule. Montana State. Yep. Southern Utah. Yes. Eastern Washington. No. North Dakota? No. Montana? No. No. And Florida. <laughs> Florida? Florida. <laughs> like the University of Florida. The University of Florida Gators. Oh, Jesus. So keep in mind, you know, these SEC teams always like to book an FCS school the week before. Muddy bag. Yep. So, I mean, Southern Utah, ah, we got to cheer for Idaho to beat the Cats. This is terrible. Man, I hate both these schools. I really want the Cats to lose. Can they both lose? (sighs) Can they tie? (laughs) (sighs) Okay, well, I'm I'm booking Idaho for two more wins. So to wrap up, uh, Cal Poly beat Sac State. Yeah, why not? What the hell? Yeah, I mean, why why not? (laughs) (laughs) So Luke, uh, I went three and three this week. You went two and four. Not our best efforts. Uh, You're thirty-seven and fifteen for the season. I'm forty-one and eleven. So we'll jump into next week. Uh, Montana, North Dakota, we'll hold off on. Idaho at Montana State. Idaho. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. You know, I'm going to pick Idaho. I think it's time. You've got a big enough lead on me. It's time. We're going to play with some house money here is what you're saying? Yeah. So Northern Colorado, Portland State. Ugh. 
We're going to front Portland a friend State. here. Portland State. Go PSU. <laughs> we got to be PSU fans. If Britt says Portland State, I'm going to take Portland State. <laughs> I'm going to take... Uh, take Northern Colorado to cover. I'm going to take... I'm going to take Northern Colorado... No, they're on the road. They're on the road. I'm taking Northern Colorado just to make it interesting for the pod. I mean, I feel like Northern Colorado is probably going to win that. Okay. But... Why not? I want Portland State to win, though. We need them to win. Um, <laughs> Eastern Washington at Weber State. I think Eastern's winning this. I think Eastern's winning this, too. I mean, I, I think that you could see a scenario where Weber puts something together. Jay Hill's a good coach, but uh, I just I think Eastern's too good. Idaho State at UC Davis. I think you got to go Idaho State at this point. Ooh. First to 100 is going to win. <laughs> That's a good point. I am going to go UC Davis. Um, so, what's your over under on yards in that game? I mean, each team's going to put up 550, right? Do you think they can eclipse 1,000 combined? I do. I, th- I think you pick the over if it's set at 1,000. Yep. That's, that's going to be a fun game to watch. Yeah. That one, um, it starts, starts, starts late. So. Uh, we should be able to watch that after whatever happens with Montana and North Dakota. Sac State is at Southern Utah. Sac State. All right. I'm going that way, too. I hope they don't let us down this week. Uh, anything else? Big Sky observations? Dante Olsen seems to me like a lock for Defensive Player of the Year at this point in the season. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Offensive Player of the Year, it's probably Gabrud. Though, if Idaho State's guy keeps putting up monster stats, he's going to make a run. Um, Sneed kind of fell off the uh, rankings a little bit in the uh, yards per game category, but that's all right. I literally have nothing else to talk about with the big sky. <laughs> yeah, I was. There was one thing I was looking at, which is which we, we talked about this before, and this is coming back with the Grizz. And again, a little bit, a little bit of defensive design. But um, what fascinated me statistically, do you know who? And this is more of the gaudy stats, like the big number stats. Do you know statistically who our best defensive lineman is? Cha? Nope. I'll Wait. give you a clue. He's not a starter. Braden Deming. Really? He has more sacks than any other defensive lineman. He has two. Shaw has one and a half. Sims has one. Deming has three tackles for a loss, which is also uh, Sims has two and a half, three so, and a half tackles for a loss. I'll be now honest. total tackles, like the starters have more. Yeah, but this has been the interesting thing that we've continually talked about. Like, it's a it's a little bit of the defensive design, but like these D line players just are not they're like they're not getting numbers, and, and I'm not saying it like it's a bad thing, but it's just like it's a crazy thing that jumps off the stat page for me. So right now. Our starting four defensive linemen have two and a half sacks over five games combined. That's crazy. Our backups have three. Um, the one that jumps out to me the most is Sims. Yeah. Like, I felt like we, we were really excited about him last year, and we just haven't talked about him. Now, the defensive design has changed. Yep. yep. And so it's an adaptation to a different type of system. But, yeah. So I don't see him as someone who's going to <clears throat> shed a lot of blocks and explode by someone. But that guy is like a 99, he's like a 109 strength. <laughs> he's been the strongest guy on that team for a very long time. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's movable. And I think he might take up one or two blocks sometimes. And, yeah. you, you know, 
He's not going to push a guy back, but he ain't going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and that, maybe that's why some of our linebackers can clean up so many of the, the tackles. Well, and you look at it. So, I mean, you we could be on pace for Dante Olsen to finish with, let's just say, 150 to 170 tackles this year. Robbie Haupt to be in the 100 range. Josh Buss to be in the 100 range. So you're going to have these three guys. are going to, And it's like the D-line is going to share, like, a combined 40 tackles. That's crazy. So these guys, I mean, like, these guys are... Are, are doing work to build the stats for the linebackers. But it's just wild because you look at that need for a pressure coming from just D-line, and statistically it's, it's not there. Hmm. Yeah, that, it was, When I was trying to look at this team and look at everything statistically, it, it was crazy how much that just jumped off the stat book to me. That, that fits right into the big sky stuff, so yeah. we're yeah. good there. Hey, Luke. What time is it? You know, a little past 9.30. <laughs> I think that uh, a little past 9.30 on a Monday night means it's time for Luke's lukewarm takes. All right. <laughs> Basically, most of my takes are lukewarm. Um, just because, and I don't know, I, I just am not, I don't have very many, like, edgy thoughts. You're a, you're a pretty even guy. But I was, I noticed something today on campus. Do you know those QR codes? Yeah, they came and went in real estate five years ago. Well, that's, this is my lukewarm take. Why did we have that technology? I've never used one. Have you? Have you ever scanned one of those stupid-ass QR codes? Yeah, but again, in real estate five years ago. Yeah. What did you guys use them for in real estate? Put them under your yard sign. So people would scan them and get info on the house. Did people do that? Not well, really. clearly nobody's doing <laughs> no. it anymore, so no. <laughs> it was the next big thing in marketing because people thought it was really cool, but then... Nobody took the time to download like the readers to do it. It was before the proliferation of apps in the sense of like, especially in the real estate world, the amount of apps you have to help you get info right away that are like GPS and location based. There was QR. Yeah, my, my lukewarm take is QR codes are useless. I don't know why I'm seeing them. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. All right. Second lukewarm take is red wine isn't any good. <laughs> Boy, uh... Brent sitting here is going to say that's a hot take. That's fighting words. <laughs> You're someone who stocks Evan Williams at your tailgate. <laughs> oh, boy. So, I, I don't know. I'm, I think about things I want to drink, and maybe I just, I clearly don't have a refined palate, right? But I would rather have, like, a Sprite than red wine with, like, a steak. All I know, God, a sprite with a steak. Are you kidding? I don't know, man. Luke, a, I usually line up with you, but a, I don't know about a that. Beer. This All is right. like Luke's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, why? It's it's always room temperature. It's, it's not supposed hot. to be. Yeah, I, right, and that's why it sucks. <laughs> it's literally lukewarm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Um, I'm not the guy that picks the wine at dinner, so I have nothing to add to this conversation. Give me a 10-second pitch on why red wine is uh, better than I think. It helps you enjoy red meat. It's chemical makeup on your tongue, expands flavor for all sorts of red meats and cheeses and breads. I'm just some sort of cave dweller. You are... Yes. <laughs> it's like, I think Brent was really liking you until this moment. <laughs> Guys, right I gotta here. go. I'm done. <laughs> and I think that does it for Luke's lukewarm takes. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Hotel Finland in the great state of Butte, America. Are you surprised by that?
No, not at all. Me either. Are you surprised that rooms start at just $80 a night? Not anymore. <laughs> I feel like we've heard this before. Well, everyone should know, and it should just come off the top of your mind, like, what am I going to do in Butte while, you know, while I'm visiting the Berkeley Pit? It's stay at the Hotel Finland, $80 a night. Absolutely. Go to the Cavalier, Cavalier Lounge, have a drink at the bar with the Smooth Hopperator. Heck yeah, Mike, what does the Smooth Hopperator do? It uh, infuses great beers with fruity flavors to make a wonderfully crisp and pure drink. So hop on over to the Cavalier Lounge located in the Hotel Finland. It's in lovely Butte, America, America's largest historic site, correct? Is, yes, I sure. agree. Is that <laughs> they would tell you it is if it is or it isn't. So uh, That is finland.com F-I-N-L-E-N.com And now, let's get back to the show. Works for me. Mike, I know you just asked this question, but what time is it now? I think it's time for the check down, Luke. It's the check down. Let's go. I wish we had laser sounds. <laughs> Okay, Mike, this is a segment where I ask you questions quickly and you give even quicker responses. Someday they'll actually be quick responses. Are you ready? Mike, when does the Grizz basketball season start? I don't know. <laughs> How do I not know? Oh, they started practice. Fonzie's going to let you know. It started Sunday. Fonzie's a cat fan. <laughs> well, practice, practice has started. When's the first game? I don't know. I was more of a joke about I'm done with the great season. <laughs> <laughs> and we do have that to look forward to because they're going to be damn good this year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, faster. <laughs> Lil Pump or Little Uzi Vert? Lil Pump. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you believe that? <laughs> All right, Mike. Cardio or Cardi B? Oh, Cardi B. There you go. Do you prefer the RV or Marine section in Brett's RV and Marine? <laughs> RV! Baby, RV! <laughs> what gets cut first, football or UM Arts? Uh, UM Arts. <laughs> Controversial, Mike. <laughs> Depending on who you ask. Neither, neither is the answer to that question. Uh, You're just watching my political career <laughs> fall down a tube. How do you like your eggs? Over easy. How do you like your toast? Uh, medium well. And how do you like your quarterbacks? Cam Humphrey or Dalton Sneed? You know, I'm feeling a little taste of Humphrey this week, I think. <laughs> right. I love Dalton Sneed, though. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. That concludes the check down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We can also this. cut the UMRs one because <laughs> you might have clientele. Like, ah, this is it. Fine, I say from the, I'm not advocating for it myself. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's funny. <laughs> All right, let's uh, enough of that. Let's jump into the Grizz game this week. The Grizz traveled to North Dakota, which feels like one of those places the Grizz have struggled with since they joined Big Sky. Except the last time Bob Stitt went there, we put it to him pretty good. Yeah, that's true. So we should get Bob back. Well, I'm, I'm kidding. This hot take. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Brent's hot take. One time Ooh. consultation trip. Yikes. Yes. So uh, the first thing that jumped off the page for me about this North Dakota team is they've got five people on their team named Noah. <laughs> <laughs> How weird is that? <laughs> There's a lot of Old Testament people in North, North Dakota, Dakota and like, Minnesota. So, yeah. Jeez. That's the whitest locker room. 
<laughs> so, uh, I'm a little concerned about this week. One, it's on the road. Two, North Dakota's coming off a bye. Three, North Dakota is not a, a patsy. Well, I said earlier in, the, in this pod that I actually thought this would be our loss from a few weeks ago. So, interestingly enough, I actually feel more confident with the Grizz having lost this weekend than I would have otherwise. Because if there's such thing as a wake-up call, they got it. Hopefully. So, hopefully. Um, Brent, tell us a little bit about North Dakota. They've had, it feels like these running backs forever. Santiago and... Um, Oliveria. Oliveria. I feel like yeah. they've been there forever. So my note about North Dakota is I call them NDSU light, which I'm sure their fan base hates. <laughs> <laughs> But at this point, you guys can call us NDSU light. I would take it as a compliment. <laughs> yep. But they're this team. It, it's funny. They run the ball. They're, they don't pass much. The quarterback's a running threat. So they've got three different, well, technically two running backs and a fullback. All these guys are going to run 10 to 15 times. I mean, it, it's going to be a lot of ground game. Uh, and then a little beat you over the top with some pass. But um, and, and they play... Damn good defense, with one exception. This year they suck with pass defense. Hmm. They're allowing almost 265 yards a game. Um, it's like the one anomaly. Like their their defensive scoring, they allow 22.6 points per game. Their, their total amount of yards allowed is less than 390 per game. Their third down conversion is basically 33% on defense. Like, defensively, they are good at stopping the run. They're good at not allowing a lot of points, but they give up a lot of stuff through the air. <laughs> it's, it's a weird standout number, and they've, you know, they've played four games now. So, Would you expect a low-scoring game then? Well, it would seem like it. Cause, so what I did was, since North Dakota is no longer in the Big Sky, this is a non-conference game, you can't pull up their stats and stack them up next to the other Big Sky teams. So I went down the line, I looked at all this. So interestingly, like their scoring offense is only scoring 24.2 points per game. Hmm. If you put that in the big sky, it would be the second worst scoring offense in the conference. So you're like, well, hell yeah. But then you go down the line, so the pass offense would be the, 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 like the third worst, but the rush offense would be the third best. And because of that rush offense, their total would be kind of middle of the pack their third down conversion is almost 41%. And they're scoring touchdowns 62% of the time in the red zone, which is a little bit better than what Montana's doing. So it's like it's they've got this like weird – they don't score a lot of points. It, it, it's a little bizarre. You know, defensively you flip it over, and their defense on the points per game would be the best scoring defense in the big sky. So it's probably going to be one of these things that – Probably the first team to four scores, like you get over that 25, 28, 30 mark, that's probably going to be the team that wins it. Their defense outside of the pass would be top three defense in all categories in the big sky. So a game like this, winning the turnover battle is critical. Winning the field position battle is critical. Um, yeah. Are these sort of indicators you look for? Absolutely. I mean, you look at, we can't do what we did to Portland with Portland. Like, you cannot spoon feed them short field. They're not a turnover machine. They're plus one this year. They have four six total turnovers. I mean, hell, we had four last week. So um, the Grizz turnover margin is still better. Or plus two. I mean, it's not like a big difference, but it's, it's like. Better coming into this. It's week. better, yeah. So, um, 
And the other thing is North Dakota's penalty. They, they're averaging 70 yards per game in penalty yards. Wow. <laughs> so it, it, just weird little numbers that jump out. So it's like, okay, where's the opportunity? They're going to presumably have some dumb penalties that maybe take some points off the board and kill some drives. So we need to take advantage of that. And we cannot have an 11 for 31 passing show. We've got to get that back into two-thirds completion because the passing game is going to be where it's at because their run defense is damn good. And these third and shorts are not going to be four-yard pickups. It's going to be met with a wall. So that it seems like it will be interesting to see this moving forward, but the short pass and probably the game plan we should have continued to use against Portland State is going to be the one that's going to be the best way to attack North Dakota, who's 3-2 and two right now. So, hmm. yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting because, I mean, to beat them, Snead's got to have a good game. And not only a good game in the sense of, like, he's got to play better than he did this week, but we need to find those receivers. And it's like that's why the pass to Torre was so nice to see because we need that. We need to show that we can take advantage of those teams. We have this buffet of really talented receivers, and it didn't seem to matter this week. It needs to matter this next week. Well, how much will defenses conform to what they saw Portland State do to, to us? Or how much, you know, you have a week, will, will defenses just kind of stick to their own game plan and, and try to do the best with what they already do well? I mean, so, of course, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the Portland film and they're going to they're gonna probably spy Snead. But, but on the other hand, it has felt like each week you see some struggles, outside of maybe the Cal Poly game, you see some struggles on offense by the Grizz. And so you think ahead to the next week. It's like, all right, this isn't going to work. These teams are going to key in on this. But credit Bobby Houck and Tim Rosenbaugh. They make little tweaks, little adjustments. I mean, you look at that Sac State game and the fake pitch. I mean, like, they, they kind of continually work to – so it could be tempo again. I mean, it, this, this, it, it, it could be a, a fascinating game plan to see. But the one thing that it does seem like this coaching staff does do is they, they realize the problem that was the week before – and try to counteract it offensively. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, yeah. I think that uh, we need to see more of our Sulcer and McGee out of the backfield. I mean, I, I think that if teams are going to stack us and they're already good at run-stopping, that we need to try and spread that out a little bit, the threat of it, because that will open up a little bit of holes and also not let the defense be quite so focused on, on Snead if he is dry, dropping back to pass. Um, the other thing I think that that makes them susceptible to is uh, remember the uh, touchdown Keaton Kern threw to Bingham the first game of the season. I mean, I think we got to see a little bit of that. I bet we see some bubbles, some bubble screens, and some things like that to try and kind of spread out that that front. Um, but it's I mean it's going to be interesting. I I think more than anything, this game has more to do with how the Grizz respond to their adversity than who they're playing. It's like I really think that if they have the potential that a lot of us think they do with the coaching staff that we think we've got, you feel like they should come out and make a statement. Will they? I don't know. So if we see you know, a Grizz win after this Saturday, uh, we, we, have, we have to enable ourselves to look at PSU as some aberration, right? Like a loss of focus, loss... Poor game plan. 
But if we come out of North Dakota with a close loss, we similarly probably could be positive still, right, for another week? We could be positive for another week, but we're really in trouble. I mean, that's the reality of the point of the season we're at, is that we'd be 4-3 and three and we'd basically need to win out yep. to make the playoffs. Yep, yep. <clears throat> okay. Um, the interesting thing, and, and I might have texted you this or you, one of you two about this, in, in thinking back over the game, I really can't come up with any explanations for the coaching because it's so uncharacteristic. It's just not what you would expect. You know, and it was interesting because this is a game that started to see some of the people who weren't fans of Bobby Hawk the last time kind of start to come out a little bit. Like, you see, these were his problems. He did this, he did this. And they're not wrong. I mean, he had problems last time. And some of the people acting like he's like the saint coach, probably a little bit of revisionist history, but he's obviously a damn good coach. And one of the things that he was always, like, the fans always rumored the last time he was in town was he would always, in their minds, play games with future coaches on what he wanted on film and everything like that. And part of me feels the best explanation for what happened last weekend was that the coaches thought that they could just line up and beat Portland State with vanilla Mm. plays. And then when it didn't happen, they didn't adjust to it quickly enough. Because even at the end, like, we're going to beat them with not putting anything on film. So my hope is that they go back to getting a little bit more variety in their play calling and, and figure some things out. So with that notion, how do you explain that Tim Simmons a two-point conversion? <laughs> are, are, were they saying like, oh, we'll let you see this one? <laughs> this is all we have in our bag? <laughs> Did they purposely botch that? No, thinking? that one's a bad... No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a stretch here, but I'm just saying like, I'm trying to give him an out or an excuse on how poorly I think the game was coached. <laughs> and yeah, a bunch of guys fumbled and they shouldn't fumble. And you got to think that that's we are not going to hit that rock bottom again. I mean, yeah, hopefully four not. lost fumbles and a punt block. Like, there's got to be some luck change to our side here at some point. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Oh. Well, so like when you look at North Dakota. They're a running team, so we and I was talking to you guys about this before we got this rolling. They've got quite the group of running backs. You're going to see three guys running the ball. John Santiago, he missed two weeks ago with a bum knee, but according to a tweet today from one of their head sports writers, he was a basically a game time scratch. They've had a bye week. They expect him to play. Santiago, we know this guy. We've seen him. He's lit up the Grizz in Washington Grizzly Stadium. He's 5'9", 187 pounds. His backup, Brady Oliveria, is 5'10", 220. <laughs> um, and then uh, James Johansson, 6'1", 250. All three of these guys, all three of these guys have hundred yard games under their belts. Um, between the three of them, they they account for. About 225 yards rushing per game. And the quarterback, Nick Ketteringham, makes up for the rest of that rushing. And he actually leads the team in rushing touchdowns, the QB. So um, he's not a high completion guy, Ketteringham, but it's like... And he's 6'3", 210. So um, I'm going to guess what North Dakota's looking at is how Joe Prothero and the poly offense... uh, smashed up on us a bit and basically had their self-inflicted wounds that, that really cost them the game. This could be the third game in a row where our defense is on the field for 
two thirds of the game. It makes so, yeah. It makes me nervous because I don't think our rush defense is as good as some people think it is. What makes you say that? I just feel like teams do well running the ball against us. I mean, we gave up four hundred yards to Polly, and granted, Polly's an option team. Da 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 da. But the week before, I mean, we gave up. I mean, we give career day to that Sac State running back. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys are good. What makes me nervous is not that we aren't as good at run defense as probably a lot of folks think. It's that this team is more balanced. Like, we all kind of fear that Cal Poly play-action pass after they ran it 40 times in a row because it is always a 60-yard game. <laughs> but I think that, like, Santiago has given us fits in the past. And these other two horses running the ball, they're not going to be easy to bring down. Nope. But I think they're more likely and they're probably better at that play-action pass surprise. Yeah, and that's like the the odd thing when I pulled up their receivers. They've got one guy that's kind of the bulk of their receiving game, and he's a big 6'4", guy. So he's a guy that, that, now this, again, this takes you back to last week, Portland State. So this is going to be the guy that's going to go up and high point a ball over most our corners. They don't really seem to have like a lot of burner guys at wide receiver. Now, all these running backs, especially Santiago, they're screen guys. I mean, they're active in the pass game too. So this team is built around these three backs doing everything when they're on the field and having a big possession guy. I mean, it's not triple option Georgia Tech, but it's that kind of design where you've got three runners and one big possession receiver guy that gets the big jump ball. Yeah, because I think to stop this kind of run game, you have to probably play a little cover one, right? Yeah, eight in the box. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how we respond. I, I feel oddly good about this game. Me too, and I don't know why. I, it's because we're, we should be 6-0, and oh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, if you look at last week, held the season lows in points scored with 20, passing yards 143, total yards 289, First downs, 15, and third down conversions, 2. And we fumbled the ball four times and had a blocked punt. I mean, it's like for as depressing as that Portland State game is, it's like that shit is like worst game in a decade stats, right? I mean, like that is not going to happen again. Knock on wood. Knock on, knock on, knock on the Amish table. Amish wood. Amish wood. <laughs> no nails reflecting on that. Right? Hopefully. Hopefully. That's how I view it. I... I don't think we're going to be able to play worse. Yeah, this this game, I mean, it's going to come down to the end. Like, what North Dakota is going to want to do is slow this game down. They're going to look at the last two weeks, and they're going to realize ball control, clock, get over 21 points, hopefully Montana makes a couple mistakes, has a couple three and outs, and we beat them 21-17. Uh, in Montana's situation... This could be a lot like the uh, with like um, NAU playing Weber. It's like if we can get the pass game rolling, and suddenly and like Cal Poly, like can is this North Dakota team equipped to keep up with a team that could score thirty or forty points? I don't think so. But what North Dakota has that Cal Poly doesn't have is this. Asshole John Santiago, who's never going to graduate and just put up 300-yard games on us. No, what what years are those guys? They're all seniors. They're all seniors. I I say that like Santiago's a B. 
beast. He is one of the most like raw, ta- like pure talent guys at running back that I've seen. His speed and his skill and his ability. He's still their punt returner. I think he's their kick returner too. Uh, he's the dude you just got to watch. The rest of these guys, I mean, they're great, but Santiago is something special. He collected All-American honors for the third consecutive season last year. Really? Last year? Because last year he missed most of the season with a, with a knee injury. Well, there you go. All right. Maybe the thing is a year round of eight. That says 2017. No kidding. I thought he missed... Was it a preseason honor? Was there QB injured last year, too? Everybody on yeah, the team. Like, See, that was the thing. So everyone thought North Dakota was going to be a competitor to win the Big Sky. And then they lost their QB. They lost, like, multiple running backs. Their own line fell apart. And they had, like, a couple of, like, stud linebackers. Last year was, like, they had, a, like, senior linebackers that were big-time guys. And they lost all of them. And there was some point, I thought I saw something, where they were playing – like three or four true freshmen on their defense last year. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys are back. They're a little bit more experienced. But obviously, like the stats show, they're stout against the run, but there's opportunity in the air. So, Luke, who do you got? I have the Grizz by one and a half points. (laughs) (laughs) That rare half extra point. Brent, who do you got? I'm going to say uh, uh, a Tim Semenza sweep that he throws a pass for a two-point. No. <laughs> Luke's eyes were like, you're kidding. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny, though? No. If, like, we My, score and it's like a tie game. And it's like, oh, we got to do – or no, we're down one. And so we kick an extra point and we win. And they run out there and Semenza rolls out, throws this pass, wide open OD, two-point conversion. OD, he's our boy. Chris walked it off. It's going to happen. I would uh, like to see OD as the first option and Matt Rensvold as yeah, the second option. There you go. I like that. I missed some Matt Rensvold last week. I know. Well, that's why we didn't win. So I'm not going to say we're going to win on a two-point conversion, but just because it's going to be stressful. I'll say 31-30 Grizz. I think, the, point. I think the Grizz are going to win by two touchdowns. I really do. Nice. I, I, think that, I think that for as much as I'm intrigued by Humphrey as a passer – I think Snead's a gritty leader. I don't think he strikes me as the type of guy that's going to come out and play two shitty games in a row. I think they're going to be pissed off. I think they're going to realize what happened to their season. And I think they're going to come out and they are going to play their asses off. This is the mic I like. (laughs) (laughs) The optimistic mic. (laughs) It took us an hour and a half to get there. I had to work through a lot of emotions. This is a good counseling session for all of us. <laughs> the growler of beer is empty. Yeah. We're there. We're at this point. It's like we've flushed it. It's I can move on now. Awesome. Well, I think that probably wraps up what we have for the pod this weekend. Yeah, unless anybody's got anything really good to talk about. The Hellgate Knights lost to the Spartans. So uh, night the watch. night watch is over. Uh, the Coyotes won um, in convincing fashion, but we don't have to spend too much time on that. Yeah, someday we're going to unpack the Coyotes and their eight-man football team. <clears throat> For another day. For another day. <laughs> God damn you, Mike. <laughs> Brent, any last words of wisdom for everybody? Uh, no, I'm good. This is I, I, I'm, I, I agree, though. I'm looking forward to this. I, I think they're going to respond. Um, I, I don't know. It's just this weird gut feel. Yeah. We'll see what happens. All right. Luke, you good? I'm good. Brent, 
Good. You good? All right. All right, that's all we've got. If we know you, we'll talk to you soon. If not, we'll see you next week. All right, go Grizz. Fight on. Fight on.